Welcome everybody to the Sufi Society Nothing But Facts live stream uh, on a day, a gorgeous day out in the state of New Jersey in which we watered the plants today. Our sunflowers, they're growing past six feet, I think. I think one of them is past six feet for sure, if not both of them past six feet, making a gorgeous image in front of the stucco wall that we have here and that's going to be a great backdrop for any future videos that we make and we also have those things hanging what are they even called i don't know vines whatever they are hanging dripping draping down now as time passes and these plants mature and it's really going to be like a lush garden on that side wall that side wall is going to be a lush garden and i want to actually even um spread it to the back like the back of the house We'll keep the front of the house like simple and clear, but the back, maybe we could just put like maybe an arborvitae. You know what that is? Arborvitae. Like it's like a year round type of palm tree. Put one under each lamp. That's it. And the front will be clear. The side will be all lush and, and eventually those vines, there's like, they tack onto the wall, right? And they'll just grow and keep growing and keep growing. And then the sunflowers will just keep going up, right? So the side will be really lush, and we'll do that same thing with the back and the same thing with the fence. See those things that we hung on the fence? Those vines, they're not uh, ivy. They're different than ivy. They're prettier than ivy. They're a lighter green and a bigger leaf. They're going to latch onto the fence, and that whole thing will be covered. And then I think what we're going to do, we're going to put a playground in the back. And the kids in the community, they don't have playgrounds, Right. So the kids, this is a long-term dawa, right? The kids will have a free playground, right? They'll come in, they'll play, but you got to clean up after yourself. And no, we're going to say no food and drink. No food and drink, people are going to bring food and drink, right? But it'll be less, right? And they'll have to clean up. And we'll have kids that they're playing in the playground, but we have to lock that door because there's a stream. I don't know if you guys saw it, but... See, the people, the viewers on the outside, they don't know, may not know what, what it looks like, is that it's almost like a V. The backyard is like a V, right? And behind the backyard is a stream. There's a hill that goes down, and then there's a stream. So we can't risk any kids taking a tumble. So we have to lock that with a, with a padlock is enough, right? So that's uh, the latest in the Dawa Center. I love coming in here in the spring and the summer, doing some gardening, mopping up a little bit, taking care of the premises, because you cannot possibly have anything good in life except that it, it, it needs care, right? It needs constant care. It needs constant uh, attention. Where is... Um oh, here it is. Needs constant care, constant attention. And so plants are no different. Um, and the greenery is no Today we're going to talk about three books. First, we're going to read from Risal al-Qushayriya. That's one segment. The second segment is we're going to introduce you this book. This is Sheikh Mahdi's la latest book. Nawa Books, the forward publications. Okay. And you can get it. I guess it's on Amazon, right? I guess you can get it on Amazon because it says here published by it, printed by Amazon. Okay, so you can get this book. Very beautiful cover here. And it's based on a television series by Sheikh Saeed Ramadan Bulti, based upon. It's not word for word. Let me read you the chapters. Chapter one, 
What are the underlying causes of depression and anxiety from a Quranic perspective, which is the, the ultimately true perspective? Now, we can also, human beings, can discern causes of depression. But what comes in the Quran will be a greater cause of depression. And ultimately, it's, it's almost like this. When you, when you have, um, when you have a, a, an atom or any molecule... There's always a center to that molecule. And then there are other, what's the particles, that are revolving around that molecule. And everything's, every molecule is different, right? Every element's different. So you have particles revolving around it. And then there's another ring and another ring and another ring. It looks exactly like the universe. So you know the one who made the molecule and made the universe is one and the same. If you look at the human, the, the, the cell, human cell is probably very similar. Right, but the molecule and the universe—they have the same form, which is an orb in the middle, and little orbs revolving around it. Here's the beauty of it: the f- the closer you are to the orb, the faster you're moving, and the more power you have. Further you are from the orb, you move slower, and has less power. So in, when you take your particle and you move far away from the orb, which is iman. And submission to Allah and constantly having Allah in your mind with remembrance and with different, everything is a good deed, right? Then you start to like rot and you start to go into this depression. That is the main perspective. I know people, psychiatrists, they always get upset when they hear this. But I also get upset when I hear your narratives, right? So why is your upsetness any different than mine? Oh, we studied. We also studied, right? Revelation gives us one source of information. Observation gives us a second source of information. They cannot conflict. They must come like a puzzle piece. So there are times when you are correct. Simultaneously, revelation is correct, right? And there are times when you're incorrect and revelation is correct. There is not a time when revelation is incorrect and you're correct. So let's just get that like from the start, from the get-go. But there is a psychiatrist's they are looking for the physical and chemical manifestations uh, to depression. And we do not negate that. And we don't negate that your cures, medicinal cures, have a benefit, right? Like, in theory. I'm not saying one specific one, but in theory. But what we are saying is that if you are a Muslim psychiatrist, the revelation, revelation and the analysis, not the, the truth of revelation cannot be ignored from your analysis. It's got to be at the center of your analysis. Everything else is uh, uh, supporting it. So when the Quran comes, is, the Quran is not saying that this is the only source of the truth. It is the ultimate source of truth. But does not the Quran point to other sources of truth? Observation, right? Observation is a source of truth, and Allah points this to us, right? You're responsible. That means if you observe something that's bad, that's wrong, you're responsible. You have to treat it. This is the debate also that gets to in in medication. Is it obligatory upon me to take medication or is it recommended or is it permissible? The Madahib said it's recommended and permissible. However, when the medication when the illness it's almost like near death or great harm. It becomes ob- an obligation. And you have the ability. So CPR is, only, is always an obligation. But to put someone on a machine and they're already a vegetable, 
that's merely permissible and it could be makro even because it's a waste of money. But the CPR portion is different, right? So that's why when there's a DNR, CPR is different. DNR, you know what a DNR is? When someone gets really old and it's time now that they may need resuscitation. So CPR is different from DNR. Like the DNR is like putting them on the machine. That's a different discussion than the CPR, which is like, does you need a gasp of air to stay alive, to return to their senses and be alive? But if the brain is dead, we're not obligated to keep someone on a machine. In any event, uh, the, our ulama have been the biggest supporters of observable science. The biggest. Because this is the handiwork of Allah. And Allah commands us to look in it and learn it and manipulate it for our own benefit. So the psychiatrists and the Islamic scholars should be on the same page. It should not uh, be viewed as antagonistic. And insofar as it is antagonistic, it's a philosophical difference that scientists in reality, as much as they want to claim objectivity, okay, oftentimes they're, they're, they're informed by scientism, which is a philosophy that observation is the only source of true certainty. Transmitted knowledge is not a source. Rational knowledge is not a, a objective, a reliable source. That's, this is scientism, right? And in our old days, in our old theology books, they called them at tabaiyin. Remember Ghazali's Tahafatul uh, Falasifa? He calls them at tabaiyin. Those who only look at the natural causes of things. So, hey, someone like come on in. And then he has the falasifa, only the rational sources of things. Right, but we also have our type of um, the people who are narration only, right? No mantiq, no uh, source of knowledge outside the narrations, and we consider that to be an extremism. But at least you're within tawhid, like it's the least of the three harms, right? But you notice that they they cannot lead those types. Narration or bust. Okay, that's really good for you. You can't lead. Because Allah Himself commands us to aql, to using aql, commands us to go around looking at the world, look at, examine, okay, undur uh, kifa, all all around, kifa bada al khalq, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, go examine how the creation begins. So observation, and this is why He says, what are the underlying causes of depression, anxiety? This is one chapter, chapter two. The first cause is not knowing the reality of life, and this is where the sad reality comes in through the form of Botox. And once you realize people, the people who had a good life, they're like, all right, good life, go into the sunset now and prepare to meet your creator. No, no concept of that. We're going back to the plastic surgeons to try to be young again, try to look young again. And it never works out. It never looks good, right? And so not knowing the reality of life is a source of depression. Not knowing how things work in life is is a major. It could it will lead you eventually to depression, and where it's not leading you to depression, it's just over. It's it's because the 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 sun of youth, and the sun of pleasures and temptation has put out, you know, uh, has has overrided or overridden whatever the right word is, uh, overridden that. But once you start seeing those people hit fifty and sixty. All of a sudden, you're no longer desirable. You're no longer wanted. You no longer have the energy. Your body doesn't look the same anymore. Now And now you got issues. You got stepkids. You got wives and ex-wives. 
you got children, you disappointed your children, you messed up in life. Now all the realities start hitting at a pace you can't imagine and can't control, and you don't have the spiritual warehouse to, 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 to draw from, okay? So that's where the reality of life starts to lead to depression. So never look at youth and say, oh, look at all the youth. They're all atheist youth. They're all happy. They're Catholic youth. They're all happy. Don't look at that. They're, it's The sun of youthfulness is overriding everything. Once that sun, it's going to set quickly. That's the problem. The third cause for us, the, the Shabab is a means to Jannah. Simultaneously, it's a blockage of spirituality, right? But it's a massive means to Jannah because when you contradict your temptations and you go against that and you use your energy for ta'a, as we have some of these youth here, mashallah, uh, then that becomes a source for them to be one of the seven categories that are special. Right, uh, they are under the shade of Allah on the day that there's no shade. Um, so, but, but youth though, it it is a blockage. All those hormones in the head they, they tend to block from hikmah. Well, you don't have years of experience to draw from, so they're blocked from hikmah. They're a little bit blocked from some of the other ma'arif that they could attain because their desires is driving them crazy, and then um, there just hasn't. Uh, uh, grown yet haven't matured yet so youth youthfulness when it fades away then ma'rifa can shine through wilaya shines through so when you have it you're gaining when you lose it you're gaining even more right and that's the beauty of being in the win-win situation we have a guest today but omar uh, please uh, inform our guest to not sit behind a bright window so pull the curtains if you can pull the curtains, because otherwise we can't see. Um, by the way, you know uh, the hadith of the shade? The seven who have no shade on the day, they're the shade of Allah. I've, I'm not even joking you that some mujassimah talked about this being a proof that Allah has a physical form because he has a shade. It's a, how ajib is it? Wait a second. Can it not be the shade of, of possession? That he possesses a shade. He owns a shade, right? Come into my shade, my umbrella, or my... So it's a created okay, uh, shade. Shade on Ajib, honestly. Secondly, fear of the future. Thirdly, fear of adversity and affliction. Okay? Fourthly, or the third cause continued... Having no hope and no forgiveness. Omar, the fan has to come off to him. Uh, next one, the fourth one, fear of death. Fifth one, inability to achieve personal ambitions. This is why I remember in Tarim, and I remember some of the, uh, the shiuch there saying, the murids do not need to be encouraged to do to zuhud. They need to be encouraged to build up their dunya. Believe it or not. Because they're already checked out of the dunya and they do want to build up their akhirah. But they said that murids, the shiuch, will inform, will tell them to build up your dunya. Right? And what they mean by that is that you can be such an ascetic okay, that you, you pay no attention to your dunya, but then you reach a certain age where you need that dunya. Right? Or others are calling it from you. They're seeking it from you. It's not for you to just indulge in. Others are seeking the dunya from you. 
the electric company will seek from you, tuition will seek from you, your your family requirements will seek dunya from you. So you need to have a trade that you can ply. You need to learn something about business. You need to learn something about expenses, okay, and all these things. So, and that's why achieving personal ambition, in my view, it's part of this path because the path is holistic. And you don't want to reach 35. Yes, you studied all the books of fiqh, good for you. But all your friends, they're married, they pay rent, they pay for homes, they have kids. And what do you sell in Miswak, right, on the street? Yeah, he's about two years away from giving fatwa, but in the meantime, he's selling Miswak, right? And selling little itr in the masjid. That's, which, that's the result, right? So that's a disaster. And that's why any... any uh, education program that does not take care of the dunya of people, of the tulab al-ilm, it's doing them a disservice. Of course, teaching them the deen is an amazing service, but uh, you need to know some of the dunya. You need, your dunya needs to be uh, set. And guess what? All of us studied because our parents did good in the dunya. Like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? We're all here, able to read books, and spend the last three year, 30 years of life really sitting on a couch and reading books, essentially. The PhD is that. Everything else is that, right? All other studies, you're sitting down reading books, right? This is not economic behavior. There's no economy that's going to grow out of this. And why did you do it? Because your dad was good at the dunya, right? And you live on his dime, eat from him, and, and all that. All right, we are ready for segment number two. We have a noble guest, okay? All right, but, uh, so get this book. The last one is all the sources of the remedies. All right, the remedies of depression. But we have now a noble guest. And we have today an influx of reverse migration from Dallas. We got Dallas all over the place here. Dallas, 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 Dallas. We got four folks from Dallas, and two of them are Madikiya, and one I'm very pleased to have on our program today. His name is Sheikh Iyad. Sheikh Iyad, welcome to the Safina Society podcast and nothing but facts live stream. Sheikh Iyad is a student of Sheikh Zuhair, while Omar uh, checks our volume. He is a student of some of the greatest Madiki scholars alive today. He is representing us. Iyad, you represent us all out in, in, in Texas, in Dallas, uh, in the land where there are very few Madikiya, I think maybe even just Ahl-Sunnah scholarship in general. So, Iyad, welcome to the program, and why don't we start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Happy to be here. Honored to be uh, with y'all. Can y'all hear me clearly? Yes, loud and clear. Nam. Uh, yes, uh, my name is uh, Iyad Al-Kobari. I'm living in Dallas now. I was born in America. My family are from uh, Palestine. Um, I grew up uh, again here. I went to school here, 17 years public schooling here. Um, after that, pretty much when I took on my Islamic uh, studies, um, I lived in North Carolina for most of my life. Mm. Uh, probably 20 years of my life or so, so a good amount there. I eventually uh, migrated to Texas here in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, area. And that's because uh, of the community? For the sake of some kind of community job or mm-hmm. masjid? Uh... Yes, uh, 
Yeah, well, we've always heard, you know, Dallas, you know, the hype about Dallas. So we wanted to test it out, and here we are um, over seven years, going on eight years here. MashaAllah, very good, very good. Which community in specific are, would you say that you're associated with there? There's Epic, there's uh, so Valley Epic Ranch. Is probably, yeah, they're probably an hour away, hour and a little bit away. Um, Dallas-Fort Worth is a pretty bad. I'm actually in Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth. Okay, so explain that to me because uh, I I, what is different, Dallas and Fort Worth? So they call the DFW area Dallas-Fort Worth, right? It's two cities um, like this? Um, you can look at it. Obviously, there's like even other cities like Arlington. Uh, there's uh, Irving. There's different cities, but um, yeah, they're all like next to each other. Okay, good. So, tell us about your studies with Sheikh Zuhair and who else? Who else did you study with? I studied uh, with Sheikh Al Mishri Al Hadi. I took Usul uh, Fiqh and Fiqh from him as well. And he's a Maliki? Yes, yes, he's, he's, he's Maliki. Where? Um, he's from uh, Mauritania. Mashallah. Where and where did you? How did you? Is it online? Online, online. Yes. He's in Mauritania, or he's um, in I the Emirates. He, I think he might be in the Emirates, or he's, okay. uh, he goes around. I'm not sure where he's at the moment, but I think originally he's from Mauritania, if I recall correctly. Yes. Mashallah. Keep keep going. Tell us more. No. Um, yeah, you mentioned, of course, the noble uh, Sheikh uh, Zuhair taking some usul silk and fit from him as well. Um, uh, Really, a lot of different um, resources. Alhamdulillah. Even um, I think actually a part of it, uh, Sheikh, uh, the Maliki school. I've uh, benefited from like uh, Sheikh uh, Saifullah and Maliki as well. Um, I mean, benefited from uh, the likes of like uh, I believe his name is Abdullah Galant. He has like Mustafa yep. Khalid going on for a little while as well. So I'm uh, really open. And actually, uh, you probably don't know, but I think four or five years ago, I actually took your usul uh, and took uh, class. I actually have your books uh, here. Benefited from Mashallah, well. nice, nice. Yeah. And, Honestly, uh, a, a, lo a lot of that has spawned from Sheikh Harun Saleh. Mm -hmm. So he's the one a who brought a, mm -hmm. a lot of people together through Merkaz Imam Malik. And it just started as a COVID streaming of his Sheikh's classes. Because he couldn't go back to Egypt. It was, I think, April, uh, March, April, tax season, May. End of May, he was supposed to go back. Because he's an accountant, right? So he was doing his tax season thingy. Tax season ended. Supposed to go back. Couldn't go back because everything was grounded. So he started this thing. Hey, who wants to take um, Sheikh Zuhair's classes online? And it started off with the Butlaihiyya. And I remember those lectures would go for like two and a half hours. Right, two and a half hours, and it was the middle of spring, COVID, and he would give these classes, and they went in Ramadan. There's like 50 people on the stream after a couple of weeks. There's like 30, 40, 50 people on the uh, on the on the on the Zoom session, and I remember Sheikh Zuhair brought a perspective that I've never heard from any other Maliki scholar, because most of the Maliki scholar will teach you the metan, they teach you the book cover to cover. You'll learn the words of the book, and you move on to the next book, right? But Sheikh Zuhair had almost, it's as if it was semi-academic, where academic in the sense of going back to the history and explaining how things developed in the madhab and really going into a lot of the names of the figures in the madhab. And that was not the teaching method that I saw with a lot of other people. They just give you the text and that's it, right? So that to me was amazing. And you seem to be someone who benefited greatly from this. And tell me now, 
in Fort Worth, which I have in front of me here as, as a map. Now, Dallas, the whole DFW area, you can say is a circle. I got it in front of me as a map here. I don't know why we're giving so much attention to Dallas, but there are brothers too. So let's take a look at what's going on here. It's a circle, and it has a number of lakes in it, which I didn't know. It's got some decent size, pretty decent sized lakes all around it. Dallas, I would say, is a little bit to the east side, southeast a little bit. Above it, northeast is Plano. Okay. Over a little bit, northwest of Dallas is Irving. Then zigzag down south, uh, southwest is Arlington. And then almost due west from Dallas is Fort Worth. Hmm. So these are big city centers, I guess. And they're connected uh, by, it looks like it's Route 30 here going across. 75 going down this way. To right. put into perspective, Sheikh, uh, I'm like 25 to 30 minutes away from the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Oh, okay. Which is in yeah. where? Arlington? In Arlington. Arlington. Yeah. Okay, so um, which is a cathedral of football, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the it's the nicest stadium. SoFi maybe competes with it, right, out in L.A.? SoFi is a gorgeous stadium. And the Dallas, uh, what is it called, AT&T? AT&T, AT&T. Stadium. Uh, now all they need is a team to actually win games, right? Because they keep getting these decent quarterbacks that are too good to, to to throw away, but you know he's not winning either, right? But you guys had, you guys had, um, you had Tony Romo. He was, we know he was Miskeen from the start. This guy can go. No, who's your CD? CD Lamb, right? This kid is good, but but he's too skinny. He gets crushed. And who did you lose to last year? Who did Dallas lose to last year in the playoffs? The Giants. Right? Didn't you lose to the Giants? I don't know. But see, you guys wiped it from your memory right away. Anyway, <laughs> tell us about your, your, your students in Dallas. Do you have, uh, do you have Tulab Ilm in Dallas? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're students of knowledge. Um, I think the thing that we faced for years, though, is um, probably the Salafi influence uh, on, on the students. And it's, it's hard for me to differentiate uh, the difference between that methodology, that ideology versus what we're trying to bring. Which I say over and over again, I think people get tired of it because you're yep. kind of preaching to the choir. It's four schools of field, three schools of aqid and the way of the sawwuf. And it's like people don't really understand or see the significance of you know that classification. Uh, you're doing that. It's amazing work because I'm telling you, most of the Muslims in America, they are in general Ahl Sunnah, in general. But the what you just said as being the actual pillars and the the what the the foundation of it is it's something that it's still not like Daruri knowledge. It's not something that Daruri. I mean by that like. Everyone knows it. It's not something everyone knows, right? It's not a default, right? I don't even know what the default is, okay? You know, I don't think people can give... If you ask a thousand regular Muslims in a masjid and do an exit poll, like, what is Islam based on? They're not going to give you that kind of answer. And that goes back to us and imams having to go out there and educate and teach and this is what Imam al-Haddad said. He said, times were good when the Shiuh got educated and then went out to the people to educate, right, and to teach and to continue 
uh, spreading the fundamentals and start teaching Mutun. So I would say a sign of success from the perspective of education, okay, is when children grow up in a community and in a masjid and like a 500 out of, or, or let's say 90 out of 100 say, how did you learn Islam? Uh, Metin of so-and-so. Because if you go to Morocco or Mauritania, Ibn Asher is how everyone knows their religion. Like, how did you learn your religion? Ibn Asher. Like, okay. And even if you went to high school and paid attention, you knew Khalil. I saw a guy, this guy was an absolute regular guy, and he used to come in with a thobe after work to pray Maghrib, and I saw he's Mauritanian. So I chit-chat with him, right? And then he, I'm teaching Khalil. Uh, sorry, I'm teaching Ibn Asher, right? And he's smiling, and he finishes the line, right? He finishes the line. He's like, oh, you brought me back to my childhood, right? And then I said, well, you studied Ibn Asher? He said, oh, everyone studied Ibn Asher. It's like a children's book, right? And, and then he says, then I said, what else do you study? He said, you studied Ibn Abi Zaid in middle school. I said, middle school? I said, what do you study? What else do you study? He said, oh, we finished off high school with Khalil, right? And he starts even saying some things about Khalil. So I thought, subhanAllah, that's what an Islamic society should look like, right? Whatever the madhab is, this just happened to be what we know, right? So uh, the study of mutun is how people should learn their, their deen and moving on from there. And that's the whole point of this whole, the whole organization. And the live, this stream is to get people aware of that and to make them interested in starting studying one of the mutun so you can give law and order to your religious education, not just chaos and falling around, right? So um, do you have opponents out in, Dal uh, out in forth? I mean, maybe you don't want to say this on the stream, but in general, you could tell me if there are, like, are there, you can say if there are, are there people directly going around and saying things about you? Like, this guy's an innovator, don't listen to him, etc. Yeah, I, um, well, I opened up the classes um, a couple of years ago, and I had a good amount of students at first, right? But you kind of found out real uh, quickly that, you know, they were inclined to the Salafi ways, and they saw that I was saying things contrary to what they knew, and they started this whole uh, thing in the background, you know, you know, Sheikh Yad is such and such, and he's doing this and that, and um, it was really, you know, disappointing, but Alhamdulillah, Allah leaves you with the, the best, inshallah, so... Okay, what about uh, also being Palestinian in, in, in the area? Because most of the Texas crowd that I see are Daisies. Maybe, does that have, make it harder for you? You have two hurdles to, now to jump. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, many, many people actually thought and probably still think I'm Egyptian. Right? And I think, and Allah knows best about it, you know, um, it's difficult to say, but maybe they don't know too many Palestinian shul for, you know, Islamic figures, sadly. So it's, they're like, you know, are you, you're Palestinian? It's like, they're, they're surprised. And yeah. I really don't like that, but, you know, for better or worse, so. Yeah. Uh, are, are there any, is there a dhikr there, out there? There are, there are, there are in Dallas. Um, it's a little, um, it's further away from where I'm at, sadly. Who does the dhikr? Um, uh, there, there are students of knowledge and, and shifts there. Uh, based on what I understood, it's probably not as open, probably. I don't, uh, you know, especially maybe the influences on the outside. But there's some good efforts from uh, based on uh, what I hear. Um, alhamdulillah. 
in public in Masajid? In Masajid, I don't know uh, it to be that um, open uh, in the Masajid. I, I believe they're probably more closed off in maybe certain places. They had maybe people's uh, homes, uh, based on what I heard. Um, yeah, probably not the Masajid yet, Dr. Uh, Someone needs to open a masjid, right, and do things, you know, their way. So, like, I always wondered why hide around in your home like you're some kind of criminal. Why not open a masjid, right? Boom, do it in public, right? So, uh, and this is the masjid. You don't like it? You can go. There's a thousand masjid in the in the Texas, uh, in the DFW area, so go there. But that's the, that is the beauty of having a big Muslim population. You have a lot of masjid. You don't have to cater to everybody. And that's the same way in New Jersey. Within 20 minutes, we got MCMC, MCGP, IACG. I'm sick of these letters, right? M- MBIC is us. Uh, Lighthouse is the only one with actual name, okay? Darul um, Arqam now has a masjid. I, I, I could probably reach 10 because there are little musallas. There's one next to... Uh, MCMC, there's one now. What's the, that masjid? Little, little masjid, Malhuda maybe. Um, there's one up, little Bengali community up route, route one towards Edison. Then there's Fords. That's 10. I just named you 10 masjid within 20 minutes, right? So you don't have to cater to everybody. You can cater to what, you can put out what you believe in. Who likes it, likes it, doesn't like it, go somewhere else. Right, so uh, people need to open up masajid, and the way I would design it, if I if you if if I had to start all over, right, which alhamdulillah I don't, and I hope I don't, but if you had to do, I would just design it, um, with the masjid musalla prioritized third. The first priority would actually it would be a gym. It would be a youth, the something that would bring in the youth. Right, the second priority would be the dars, the place to give a formalized dars, and why can't it be in the masjid? It'll be attached to the masjid because sisters study and they cannot always enter the masjid. Right. Secondly, you have chairs set up, you have things set up. Yeah, you know, it's as such a hassle to have to break down the tables, fold the linens, fold the chairs. This is what we do every day at the masjid. It's a hassle, right? So. A dedicated spot just for class. It's not a hassle that I'm upset about. It's just a physically it's labor intensive and it gets tedious, but I'm happy with what Allah has given. I'm very happy. So I would have that. Then the place of salah, you either add that third or you use the other two spaces. Because salah is used five times a day. It's not much space. One time a week, you need a lot of space, right? So that's how I would do it. And everything will be public, right? And no elections, no board elections. You can you can mandate a rotation of people, because that's good. Bring in new perspective, new blood. But those people, can, other people, can, veterans can come back. You can mandate that, but it's not by elections. It's by the selection of uh, people from a pool of volunteers, and we know who's volunteering, right? You look around, you see this faces who's lifting a chair, who's moving a chair, who's there for the committee, right? Who's serving the food? That person is your leader, right? That he's a servant, he deserves to be a leader later on. You lead for a few years, take a break. Bring the old veterans back. Bring, after a few years of that, bring... And your each seat is constantly in flux between veterans, youth, and, 
and new leaders. We also have, there is a position of a, like a resident, a board member in training, which is someone who's a young leader, right? Who has proven himself, but is too young. So board member training. And, and so that's the best way to run Masajid. So that, and, and your vision, the bylaws should have your religious policy. There should be a section on the religious policy. We're not going to have a debate on what's true and false here. I'm not debating anyone on what is haqq and batil. The policy of this masjid is Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. The policy is that if you pick up the mic to teach a class, you're going to teach it from one of the madhabs with permission. Okay. Of course, you have to have permission. You have to have strict control over these buildings. It's not a free-for-all. It's not a public space right? to, to hold the mic and teach a class. This is the policy of the masjid. So there's no argument. Oh, this is right or wrong. Are you talking right and wrong? We're not discussing right and wrong. This is the policy of the mosque. That's it. All right? Simple discussion. Now, I want to... You, you said something interesting earlier. I want to shift now. And you brought up a part of the United States that I have always thought about and felt and seen that is one of the most beautiful parts of the United States which is the Southeast. Okay. Tell us about North Carolina and the topography. You know, I don't know, you know, the topography, the, what is the land like? What is the beat? What are the beaches like? Uh, what is the weather like? Because I have, you know, I've seen a lot of amazing footage of how beautiful and I've heard how gorgeous North and South Carolina are. Myrtle beach is in South Carolina. So talk to us about that. Oh, North Carolina is beautiful, and, and South Carolina, the whole uh, you know East Coast. Um, I actually uh, just quickly, I actually drove from North Carolina to Texas before, and you just see it kind of become more like a desert as you, uh, you know, kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're losing the trees, the mountains. Uh, I mean, just the green. Um, so you yep. mentioned the beach; it's just beautiful. Um, it gets humid there. Um, I mean, Dallas here is relatively dry. Um, uh, hurricane season isn't uh, the funnest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just absolutely beautiful, and I, mean, I saw the people were were pretty decent as well. What city in North Carolina? Uh, uh, so I lived in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, which is about an hour from Raleigh. Rocky Mountain, Raleigh. northeast. So, how far are you from the beach? Another hour, hour and a half? Uh, I mean, maybe two to two and a half hours uh, or so. If I, yeah. And the Atlantic Ocean there, it's it's gorgeous in that area, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. I mean, people Absolutely. talk about people talk about the Pacific, the Atlantic mm-hmm. Ocean. When you hit when you go south, it can easily rival the Pacific easily. Once you hit south, mm-hmm. once you hit the Bahamas, once you hit uh, Cuba, uh, the Virgin Islands, all those areas, we have it's like Florida. And then it's Cuba, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, then all these little islands, right? And, and they close off. Uh, on the other side is Central America, Costa Rica, Panama. So from Miami to all those little islands until South America, and then from, Me- from Texas, Mexico, all the Central American countries, it closes the Atlantic Ocean. And that's what you call the Caribbean island, uh, the Carib- Caribbean Sea or Caribbean Sea, whichever way you want to pronounce it. What is what's the correct one? Caribbean or Caribbean? Caribbean Sea. Uh, when I say close off on the Central American side, it's completely closed off. But on the island side, what they call the um, Caribbean islands, 
it's like it's it's not fully closed off. They're not connected. So it's my it's Florida, then Cuba, Dominican Republic, uh, Haiti, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and all and then all these little islands, right? Montserrat, which uh, someone has named a font after, uh, all the way down until you hit to Trinidad and Tobago, where you can go visit Imran Hussein. Right, because he's there. He's from Trinidad. But all those Caribbean islands, um, that's why they sort of block off. They set a pick for the Atlantic Ocean, and that creates the the Caribbean Sea, which is the Caribbean Sea is one of the most, probably the prettiest body of water in the world. Right, a lot of people go on vacation in. Um, there's an island off the tip of Africa, or on the east side of Africa. That's not Madagascar. It's another one. Ex- most expensive island you're ever going to go to. That is amazing water too, right? But the Caribbean um, is one of the prettiest. Now, what is not uh, uh, pretty is the northern part of the Atlantic Ocean where it's murky water and it's dark and it's cold. But the southern part is amazing. So, Sheikh Iyad, welcome uh, again. And this was your, we wanted to, you know, talk to you to meet you, to discuss a little bit about life in Dallas, your origins, to make everyone known, uh, uh, aware. Uh, could you tell us exactly where you teach? In, if where, where do you give your public sessions or how someone can reach out to you, how, how the people in Fort Worth who are viewing this and listening to this can, can get to start studying with you? Yeah, I, um, well, right at- Mostly, I've, I've been doing it uh, online, and some places I've been able to meet with some of the brothers and give uh, public uh, classes. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, if my number or email, maybe I can uh, share that, and uh, people can have access to that. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm generally known in the area, um, but for people outside or maybe a little further away, we can definitely um, get them connected, inshallah, if they're interested in taking classes. All right. So if you are a listener in the Fort Worth area, in the Dallas area. Um, Look up and ask around for Sheikh Iyad al-Kubri to study Aqidah, to study Maliki Fiqh, to study uh, these these texts. And Maliki Fiqh, you can study with him Ashmawiyah Akhtari, Ibn Ashir, Risala. You can study with him Usul. You can study with him Aqidah. Um, and so you can learn a lot from him. And this is part of the one of the uh, plans for our live stream is to highlight the teachers that are out there I don't care for big uh, limelight speakers. No, teachers. People who teach you the nuts and bolts of your deen, the meat and potatoes of your religion, all throughout England and America so that people can get to know them as long as they're within one of the four medhubs. That's our concern, right? So, again, thank you very much for coming on, Sheikh Iyad, and hopefully we will uh, cross paths again, and you're always welcome to come and visit us in New Jersey. Thank you for having me on. Barakallahu alaykum. All right, so someone was asking, who do we have here? We have Abdul Sabur and we have Yusuf. Abdul Bari, strike two. Abdul Bari and Yusuf from Epic. And Salman, of course, you know, he's been here all summer. Alhamdulillah, we've been, uh, Allah has sent him to keep me company. And um, uh, as a lot of our guys, of course, you know, they leave, they graduate from us. Like four guys graduated this year, right? They graduate f- from here and they go study somewhere else. Even though we don't have like a formal program, but it is they've taken, they've soaked in what they've soaked in. And Karim has gone on to Turkey. 
Othman is around, but he's in med school, right? He's not moving on that part of his life. Of course, we said Ryan went to Tarim. Suhaib went to Tarim. Sheikh Murad. Sheikh Murad studied elsewhere. He came here as a teacher to live with us and be part of our team and, and start Darul Fatih from scratch. He's one of the originals. And, of course, we've been friends for years. He's taking, he's going to Jordan. But he'll be back sooner than later. Sheikh um, Nisar also studied in Pakistan for years, came back, taught in the area. We've always been friends. Comes and visits in Ramadan. Also was one of the Darul Fatih originals. Two-year fatwa course in Al-Bakistan. And then he's coming back, inshallah ta'ala. So people coming and going, and we're building up Darul Fatih. And we will, inshallah, soon be bringing in shiuch from overseas. Right? And we're learning that process so that we could shorten our chain, get directly from the shiuch. Right? And that's going to be a huge part of our program. Right? Like we're young people, young, and we can get people going on the uh, initial mutun and get some of the cobwebs out of the way. You know, I can have a big sheikh who's like a 65, 70 year old veteran who's coming, like Messi comes to Florida to play out the rest of his career, right? We're going to bring some of those shiuch that, khalas, the young guns have taken over in their country and they could come here and start something new and we can get that short and chain, right? But we can't have someone coming up to him and saying, what's a medheb? And, and, and is a line of place or not? And what, you know, things like that. So we got to get the cobwebs out of the way. We got to get the track. And he's not going to come and teach you Farah al-Salah and Wudu. We're going to teach you all that stuff, the preliminary first, and get you to the intermediate. He could take those big shiuh could take you from there, right? Those senior ulama from around the world. And that one of those towards that goal is the acquisition of an apartment. The acquisition of an apartment and an automobile, right? Automobile is not that important. That's easy. But the apartment. Once you acquire an apartment, okay, that becomes the abode of the resident sheikh, right? And the resident visiting sheikh, whether visit for one or two years, right? And that's where we're going to grow. And that's where we have to grow, inshallah. And people could come and, and start uh, visiting like these guys are visiting and take from the issue. Segment number three of our program today is the provenance of man. I just started it. But one of the things he uh, he uh, begins with is the fallacy, okay, is the fallacy of scientism. When I say fallacy, we don't mean, you know, a silly saying. We mean by that a, we mean by that a falsehood. And the scientism is the idea, as we said earlier, is that certainty only comes from empirical, physical, observable evidence. We say certainty definitely comes from there, but it's not the only source. So scientifically prove to me that George Washington existed. Scientifically prove to me that Napoleon once ruled France. Scientifically prove to me, right, that, that uh, the pharaohs of Egypt existed. Okay, beyond some archaeology. Well, archaeology can prove something, but it can't prove it. It cannot be the only source, right? Scientifically prove to me, name something that happened in history that's mutawatir. Name me something that happened in history, world history that's mutawatir. All right, Genghis Khan. Scientifically prove to me that there was a man named Genghis Khan 
who led the Mongols to a world empire. Not everything is just going to be by archaeological facts. There is tawatur, there is al-khabarus sadiq, sound transmission. And there is reason. And why is reason important? Because when you bring khabar sadiq, and when you bring a physical piece of evidence, right, and you put them together, you get a syllogism. When you bring these sources together, like when you bring uh, blue and yellow together, you get green, right? When you bring two facts together, reason locks them together. And then it produces a conclusion that must be true. Although it was neither observable nor rational, nor transmitted. The famous one in all the textbook is all men are mortal, right? Aristotle is a man, therefore Aristotle is immortal, right? Or you could say that all men are mortal, okay? Omar is mortal, is a man, therefore Omar will die. That is a, fa is a fact, although there's no observable proof for it. There's no rational proof for it. There's no transmitted proof for it. But we've combined... Uh, 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 one premise with another premise that produced for us a fact. Okay, So that's the concept of the use of reason and transmission. And that's the first thing he gets to. Because his point here and the way he's going to destroy any hope or any concept of Muslims putting together an, an, a, an Islamic evolutionary theory is that Sayyidina Adam never had parents. Okay, that is the the concept. If because you can't get beyond that, evolution, the evolutionary uh, th um, view of humanity. When a Muslim adopts it, he he has to recognize that Adam is the first man. If he's an evolutionist, he will be forced to explain where Adam came from. Okay. And his theory would require him to assert that Adam was came out of a mammal i guess we would call it a mammal right he is the result of a male and a female whatever that is pre-human mammal okay and that when he's the first man he's the first man that allah blew a soul in him okay so that means how would we classify his parents so you're they they have to come upon that so the islamic evolutionary uh conceptions they die when once we start discussing the parentage of Adam. You are attributing non-human parentage to Adam. The whole book, the, the idea of the book is to show that Adam did not have this, right? That this is impossible. And so the first thing he says is that why is it rationally comprehensible, rationally feasible? It's not, there's nothing irrational about it, the idea of a human being existing without parents. If you look at the way Allah Ta'ala created the human being, he created them in different ways. Adam was created one way. Hawat was created one, another way. Zaka, uh, Yahya and Ishaq. Ishaq and Yahya were created one an, a third way. Sayyidina Isa was created a fourth way. All of us were created a fifth way. Five ways. And then resurrection, we're all resurrected into a body a whole nother way. Six ways. Allah has created the human being in six different ways. Which shows us if he wanted to create us from a monkey he could, or from a man... Mammal, he could have. From a beast, he could have. From a being, he could have. But he chose not to. Right? He has told us the six ways in which he created. 
Adam, we know, was created from the clay of the earth, the water of the heavens, okay? And then the actual way in which the water and the clay formed the statue. And Adam was, at one point, a statue. That is unknown to us. Maybe Allah will show us one day how he fashioned. Did he wait, cause the wind to move? Like we, we don't know that. We had not shown you the creation of the heaven and the earth, nor the creation of your own self. We need Adam and Eve. We haven't seen that. We know what he's created from, but we don't know how it formed into a statue. Anyone who speaks about that is, is guessing. Anyone who speaks on how that mud and water became the statue of Adam is guessing, speculating. But he, we know he was that hard. You can knock on him. Say Hawa was created from the from a living being, from the bone and the rib of uh, Adam alayhi salam, and was created there. Okay, so she was created from the bone body of a human being, a male human, to create a female. Okay, Yahya is Ishaq, the first line after Ibrahim, Ishaq, and the last Yaqub. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Yahya. Okay. Both were created from a male and a barren menopausal woman. Both of them. The woman was barren in the beginning, in the first. She could not have birth for 80, for, for we don't know how many years, but for many decades, she could not have children. Then, past the age of 80, not only was she barren, she's menopausal. Right? That means she cannot have kids anymore. And Allah created a child from them, miraculously. Okay? Ishaq and Yahya. That's way number three. Then, number four, even more miraculous than that, the birth of Sayyidina Isa ibn Maryam. The creation of Isa ibn Maryam from a womb and no male. Okay? And then the creation of all of us from a, ma a male and a female. And then the resurrection of all of us is that the souls will be brought forth and your matter will come and be attracted like a magnet to your soul. The matter that you were made of in this life will come up and be attracted to you. Now, some people ask questions. Well, won't our dust have decayed into the dirt, which then centuries later may have gotten farmed or then become a pepper and then someone ate that? Like, don't ask these silly questions, right? whatever Allah wants, it doesn't have to be even the, our old matter. Some say it's the, the matter you were composed of. And some say, no, any matter, right? It doesn't make a difference. But what Allah wills for you to be your new body will just like magnetically, almost like a vacuum, sucked up by your soul. And boom, you're formed. Okay, the first human being could have been formed like that, right? The first human being could have been grown out of the earth, right? Or come in a pod, like the way that they're trying to create human beings, they want to, they're still going to use male and female uh, fluids. And then they want to grow the human in a pod. So the state manages that human. That's going to be an oppression we have to stop. But Islamic human rights, if we say anything about Islamic human rights, you have the right to know who your mom and dad are. Right? You have the right to have a mother and a father. Right? And you have the right to go in the womb of your mother and come out of her. So that the attachment forms. 
if we ever had Islamic human rights, that is part of our human rights. And this nonsense of growing humans in a pod so that the state could could control them is pure oppression to a human being. It's now 2.22. We don't have time to do our reading. Segment number four, which is Risala al-Qushayriya. We'll do that another time. Um, we're going to move now to Q&A. You're, you're off to pick up Sheikh Mahdi Lak. All right. Take care. Salman's off to pick up our guest, Sheikh Mahdi. All right, who is running ArcView's Arabic program. And this is a good chance to talk to you about ArcView. The whole point of this live stream is to pique interest, to create some interest, okay, in studying. And we recognize that people can will not have people around them where they live. Okay. So we produce something for you online. And ArcView right now is two uh, tracks. They're going to be four in September, inshallah. The first two tracks are the basic and the uh, plus. Basic gives you the intro mutun of everything. Plus will give you the intermediate level mutun of everything. Of course, plus will have the basic stuff with it, right? So you can review the initial mutun. One account per household, okay? One account for the whole house, such that if you have a family, you have a mom and a dad and four kids, you get plus, you get everything. Now, kids is something else. Why is kids something else? Because we are not, we're now providing HIVs, right? We're providing HIVs teachers, okay? And the more students, we get getting more HIVs teachers. And so we're providing HIVs plus fiqh, how to pray and fast, plus sirah, knowing the life of the Prophet wasallam. That's kids. And then we have probably the most intensive one is Arabic. Arabic requires a lot, a big push. Okay? A big push. And Sheikh Mahdi Lak runs the Arabic. Right? So, we'll now move to the Q&A section. Okay? Hmm. And as, as I read more from this book, I'll be sharing more. But where can you get this book? The Provenance of Men. It's by Philosophical Publications. It's... Um, just, just go look it up. Tahseen Khan, The Provenance of Man. It's a very Kalami-based uh, approach to the Mas'ala. A lot of scholars were have reviewed this text. Everyone I've heard uh, praise this text, and I look into it. Let's look at who he he he, he consulted. Abdul Rahman Mihrig, Suhail Lahir, Mateen Khan, his brother, Muhammad Yasir Al Hanafi, okay, Imran Ahmed, our Hanafi teacher, okay, here, yeah. Sheikh Imran. Yep. I wonder what Shoaib Malik thinks of this. Well, Shoaib Malik should read this book and they should have a discussion. Shoaib Malik uh, interviewed me on evolution, wrote a book on evolution, so like Islamic perspectives on evolution, which I didn't read. Um, but uh, why are you laughing? Huh? Isn't it pro-evolution book at the end of it? 
what's the conclusion of the, of Shoaib Malik's book? Well, how do you get around? Uh, how do you get around this issue? The the parentage of Adam. How do you get around that? We got to look at in his book. Uh, Instagram. Go ahead, uh, Omar. Give me the Instagram information. Any cues on Instagram? Here we go. One. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Shabi. How would you recommend people going through grad school and undergrad and uh, work to best study the dean or make sure they keep their eyes strong? The best way to study your dean is be systematic, be even if it's little. Even if it's little. Even if it's 20 minutes a day, but it's systematic. The course, you got the book. For 20 minutes, you close everything out, you put a timer. You listen to the course, you got the metin, and you study. You think it's nothing. You will not believe how far you get in just three months. But what should not do? All right, I signed up for ArcView. Play it in the car. Play it in while I'm working. It's not real study like that. Play, put, put the live stream for that. That's the point of the live stream. We're just, right? The... If you're taking a course for ArcView, whatever time that you're able to focus, just said that, right? Like some people may have more time. Some people may have an hour a day. Some people have that. Depends on your life situation. I don't think anybody doesn't have 20 minutes a day. 20 minutes, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to set a timer. The moment that timer goes off, I'm clicking stop. I click pause. I keep that browser open so I know when it is. And in my book, I, I put a line and I said class number... Five minute, you know, 30 uh, colon 15. Just in case my browser closes, right? Next day, I know where I aligned the book, the metin, with the, with the minute. That's how you have to do it. But do not do it as a while I'm doing the dishes, while I'm ironing. This is, yeah, it may work for a little bit. This is nonsense, right? It's nonsense, Okay. Uh, that you do that for the stream. That's the whole point of the stream. What else you got from Instagram? What's the roundabout course for the Arabic class? Uh, cost, uh, sorry, for the Arabic course. It's going to be by the semester, and um, I don't know yet what they what they thought about the pricing. Uh, they're going to come up with the prices. What is the uh, etiquette of the mu'adhin? It is mandub for him to be on wudu and to not be distracted while he calls the adhan and to face the qibla. And the adhan should be loud enough for people to hear. He should not be excessively singy with the adhan. You, the Madakiyah did not like that, but some of the Shafi'iyah permitted that. A lot of beautification of that then and they they feel that that's uh um nothing wrong with that at all but the medicia just like to do that then as a sahaba did it which was just a call not a melodious song so you have two different opinions in the madahib if one has made sincere toba for a specific past sinful action and those actions begin to become hazy in one's memory 
Does that mean that they have been forgiven? Inshallah, the, the forgiveness is happening. Inshallah, Ta'ala. We can, ex- may Allah accept it from all of us. Talib Razi says, Shraib Malik isn't pro-evolution. He's saying it's possible for all life except Adam and Hawa. What do we care about life? All we care about is a human being. We're going to write a whole book for the sake of the frogs being possibly evolved, right? What do we care about that? So the lizards and the frogs, that's what the whole thing is about? Invent whatever imagination you want, and it's halal in Islam, right? Make up any imaginary way that you want for, for animals to, uh, to have come about. Who cares? We care about the human being. And so does the theory of evolution. Theory of evolution has they they're not interested in stopping at man. But I guess uh, that's good then. So he's within, as long as he does not hold. Not just Shoaib Malik, who's, I'm gonna. He's been very nice to me, to be honest with you. So he didn't come across as someone who wants to destroy, the aqidah of Muslims, right? So I never got that vibe from him. I didn't read his book either, though, right? Maybe I should read his book. Um, but he's always been very, very gracious towards me. Um, and usually people who, who are evolutionists are not. Like Muslim evolutionists. There was once a popular uh, preacher out there who was also a medical doctor. He just got really upset with me because I, I, we went at it on Twitter years ago on this issue, right? And then when people bought up those old tweets... Right, and I brought him up. I said, "Hey, did you change your position on this?" Like the world went after him for it. Right? Don't get upset at me. It's your tweet. You're the one who said this stuff, not me. How strange do you get upset with somebody who still holds that belief? Right? That they ask you, "Hey, do you hold your this belief?" If it's false, say no. I don't hold it anymore. If it's true, then withhold, put it out there. Right? I don't like secret beliefs. They like they make me sick. Reason is that it's going to catch up with you eventually. There's no should be no secret belief, right? We don't have any secret beliefs in Islam. There are secrets, personal secrets. That's fine. You you can have personal secrets, right? Like I know something that it's a, that's for your family. But in the Deen, there are no secrets. There's no secret aqidah, right? <laughs> so if it's your aqidah, put it out there and defend yourself and support it and die a martyr, right? Go down as a martyr for your cause. Allah will send people to support you if it's the truth. But you cannot have a belief. Then when someone says, hey, you said this five years ago. Is this still your position? Do you get upset at them? But not deny it at the same time? Uh, that's uh, something else, man. Anyway, may Allah Ta'ala bring all of us together as Muslim brothers and du'a to Islam. So, How can I become a Maliki? Start studying a book called the Ashmawiyah. And sign up for arcview.org. Arcview Basic, and study the Ashmawiya text and start taking my class every Tuesday, 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. A question on Instagram. Uh, thoughts on the Red Pill Movement? Red Pill Movement? Where have they gone wrong? But it's a very loosely organized movement. And those loosely organized movement, you have to be really aware of how the movement's morphing and developing, Right. And it's one of those movements where there's really no law and order to the movement. It's just a bunch of guys talking and it's morphing somehow and 
there's different branches and Jordan Peterson's one of them and some people say he's one of them and Andrew Tate's one of them and um I never kept up to be honest with you who has time who has time to keep up with this stuff I always had a philosophical issue with it because of the name yeah because the name itself is derived from the matrix yeah the movie. yeah and if you look at who created the matrix feminists Transits. Transients. And they say it's a transgender metaphor, the movie itself as a whole. So why would you take any movie from, Why would you want to have any connection? Connection, yeah. So the, so the Matrix was, was, was a movie made by two transgender individuals. And uh, the red pill, I guess, is the reality. And the blue pill is what? The, what the people want you to think or what? Okay. A long time ago I saw the movie, but I can't remember really what the red pill and the blue pill yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone knew that, that they were transgender until recently, right? That came out recently? Well, they... People know that? Have known well, that? No, they, they... Yeah, I think they... Later on said that this was a whole thing about right. transgender. Okay. If it goes back to your secret belief, maybe that's just part of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. SubhanAllah. Let's go to this question here that states... Um, I'm starting to doubt my path through my Madiki studies as many outlets are informing me that this creed has many holes in the narrative. First of all, Madiki, the Madikiya are Asha'ira in the main and anyone else's exception. And what Fatima King is asking this question, are you saying that the Ash'ari Aqidah, that's what you're questioning? Which one are you questioning? Okay, because you said Maliki studies, which is fiqh, and then you said creed, which is aqid. So, I do have a summary of the Ash'ari Aqidah, but that book, I need to republish it. What is the best summary of the Ash'ari Aqidah? The Sanusi books, those are maybe pretty hard for people to read. What do you think is the best summary of the Ash'ari Aqidah in English? I really need to publish that book again to get it reprinted. Yeah, I need to get that book reprinted. Uh, well, why don't you... Uh, I mean, definitely the course will cover it. But well, you need to ask me something. So Fatima, uh, Fatima King, send us an email with the specific questions and we can address them. Do women and pray, men pray the same in the Maliki, Shafi, or Hanafi school? No, there's some differences in terms of the jama'ah. Malikiyah and I think the Ahnaf do not have a concept of women's jama'ah prayer. They have to pray by themselves. Like women do not ever be the imam with other women in the Maliki and Hanafi schools. So how do women pray together? Well, they get together and then everyone prays separately. Okay. Uh, so that's one thing. Second thing is that men and women pray separately in all methods regarding the form. Like legs for the men will be apart for women together the sprawling sujood for men is not the case for women they bring their elbows in they bring their knees in so men have a little bit of a more of a sprawl and the women have the opposite of that he said uh ash'ari like she just made a mistake the uh, the ash'ari aqida right has been aqida that has been examined and checked for thousands of for hundreds of years by thousands upon thousands of scholars and you will not find a single position that they have without a very strong evidence, okay? And we teach it, uh, again, on arcview.org, and we, there is a book you can study 
if you really want to study. There is a book by Ali Khalfa, I believe his name is, which is Joharat al-Tawheed in English. Omar, can you look that up and, and tell and, and tag her with that book? And you could and there are plenty of Aqidah courses on ArcView and, and on other websites. Okay. You can also like there's a lot of translations of uh, Imam al-Nasafi's Aqidah as well. Imam al-Nasafi's Aqidah and, and many other Aqidah books. And I need to get the, uh, our Aqidah book out too. Ali Khalfa. I don't know how he pronounces it. Ali Khalaf, maybe. I have read that technologies like smartphone, laptops, TV screens have animal ingredients. Would their reader their would th- would this render their possession and usage impermissible? No, because whatever animal, whatever Najasa was in such a product, which I don't never heard of this before, it has been altered completely outside of its form, so it is no longer deemed najis. This is called the doctrine of istihala. How do we answer atheists, says Minaj, who argue that they are morally better than the believers since they do not do good just because they are afraid of hellfire or because of the rewards of Jannah. We say to them, on what scale, what, who produced the scale or the standard that doing good deeds just for the sake of it is better than someone doing it for a motive. Rather, we say what matters is the deed, number one. So that's the first thing. Secondly, um, you are doing the good for the sake of the good. So you've actually proven yourself so that when you go to the Day of Judgment in front of Allah, you didn't do it to avoid hellfire. So go into it, right? Why did you do the deed? Just for the sake of Okay. Well, guess what? There's something called Jahannam, right? So khush. Since you never tried to avoid it, right? You never want to avoid it. Um, and secondly, I think it's a lie. You do the good just because it's the good. And thirdly, we do fear hellfire. We do desire paradise. And we do love Allah. And we do have a fitrah. Most Muslims' deeds are a mix of all these things. Right? Many, many Muslims. And they see like a poor kid. And they give this person a sandwich. Or a meal. Or whatever. And they see a poor orphan in the streets of Medina or whatever. And they buy this kid a burger. And this kid's eyes light up when he sees a burger and fries. This is expensive food in the Middle East. I can guarantee you they're doing it from their fitrah. From their heart. And we call that solely for the sake of Allah. Right? That's what we call it. Hellfire exists. The, the actions that are fear of hell are actions that are temptations that you avoid for the sake of the hellfire. I want to take an interest loan and start, you know how many businesses I could start up if I could take interest, right? That is something I stop, okay? Nobody goes and says, for the love of the good, I'm going to avoid interest, right? (laughs) So when it comes to the poor orphan, we're all, uh, most 90%, I guarantee you, the Muslim will not say, will not calculate in his mind. I can earn 1,000 hasanats, and be away from the hellfire for this reason. No. We avoid the hellfire in matters that are temptation-based. Which you, atheists, run to. Show me an atheist who is has a moral, upright family, and that's it. No zina, no alcohol, no, no temptations, none of that stuff. No. Well, you have no reason to avoid that stuff. For the things that human beings love to have and love to do, but it's bad for us. Your motivation is the hellfire. 
for to give up the things that you love to, to have. I love to have my wealth, but the institution needs money. I love to have my wealth, but other people need money. It's hard to give up my wealth. I can, I can uh, justify that in my mind. I'm going to have more wealth later in this life and the next. So it's easy to give up my wealth. Show me where, how much, how much money have atheists donated, right? Remove Bill Gates, he's an anomaly, right? Regular common folk. Regular old atheists. I want to look at the charity of the middle class, not the charity of the upper class who are having tax benefits and all sorts of other things with their money. No, no, forget the billionaires and the millionaires. I want the regular guy. Regular old atheists. How much money is he giving away every year? How much food is he buying for people every year? Right? So for those things, that's why we have to look at what moral thing are we talking about? Because when Allah Ta'ala and Islam teaches us to have different motivations, it's because there are different deeds. Temptations, think of the hellfire. Uh, good things that you don't want to do, think of paradise. How about going to war? Right? How about going to war? The land, I'm living in a country on the east side of the country. There's an invasion on the west side of the country. What do I care? They're never going to make it all the way to the east. Why would I go to war for, for the west side of the country? Right? Well, duty calls. Okay? I think of Jannah. I have to think of paradise. Right? So when I have to do a deed that I don't want to do, Jannah. Avoid a temptation I don't want to avoid, Jahannam. But general goodness, it really comes from the fitrah, and we call that, that is the same for us as fi, fi sabilillah, for the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how you would answer that question. That awliya reach a point, all of, that they fear the hellfire because Allah commanded them to fear it. And they seek to avoid it and pray for avoidance because Allah commanded them. Likewise, paradise. But their main motive of the deed, this is all the creation of Allah. I want to please my creator in all things. right? Whether it's walking into the bathroom with my left foot at three in the morning or it's going out and, and sacrificing my life physically in a battle or getting up for tahajjud in the middle of the night when I have no needs, I just have gratitude. I want to give shukr. Nadira, yeah. Sheikh Yaqubi had mentioned that if you uh, do certain salawah, uh, uh, he said, Hasbunah more like heal, 450 times a day, you'll, if you do it for 40 days, you'll inshallah get what you desire. SubhanAllah. And event, I did that. You know, and alhamdulillah, things turned out the way I wanted them to. But what happened is that I found myself eventually just continuing to do that. Yeah. Because there was something, there was a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that had been established just mm. by doing that. Even though I had already gotten what I wanted, all, all these actions are actually training so that you can make that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a great point. The fear of the hellfire is the training ground for the person who doesn't want to do any good. How do atheists train someone who doesn't want to do any good? How do you train us? Train somebody, right? How does an atheist reform a bad person? Islam reforms them by telling them, Assuming that the person believes, there's hellfire. Oh shoot! I don't. Want, I really don't want to be good. I want to go in the way of. I want to live that life of Las Vegas and and all that stuff. But I also don't want to go to hell. So I start changing a little bit. All right, good step. Next step, desiring the good for myself. Oh, this path 
is not just about what not to do. It's about what has Allah has to offer. Allah has a lot of good to offer in this life and the next. So, okay, now I'll do even more. Finally, the acts of worship, once they actually settle into the heart, you don't want to leave them off. Once it starts to settle into your heart, you never want to leave it off. It's just a, a sakina and a connection to your creator that you, that you realize that this is greater even than what I was seeking. So it's a training ground. So the question is, oh, atheists, how do you reform people? Okay. Um, Nadira says, convert, revert question. Some people say revert and some people say convert. All the same to me. Is it wrong to be disheartened by a woman's section in the mosque to be a whole separate room that feels like you could be anywhere, four walls and a closed door? Is this normal? Well, I'd probably be bored by it myself. Um, there needs to be some beauty to the space. There needs to be some feeling that you're in a mosque. So forget that. I have gone to actual masjid, the front of the masjid, and thought, man, I wish I could take over this place because I could really spruce it up a little bit right this is a it's boring it's in the boring in the sense what do i mean by that i mean it's not inspiring the space should inspire right the prophet's space was open air space the the messenger's space did not feel like you were closed in and i think that is a psychological there's a psychological element to an open space. Of course, the front of the mosque and the back of the mosque of the Prophet were covered, right, for shade. There were actually trees in the masjid too. If I'm not mistaken, they left some trees in the masjid, in the, in the Prophet's mosque. But you have to make sure that the tree doesn't break up the row. So you pray in front of that and behind that. If I'm not mistaken, there were the two or three trees left in the masjid, okay? But but I could I could be mistaken, but I think that's the case. But in any event, if you look at fast forward through our our lands, and and it's not to discount the Prophet's mosque, but we are not living in that time and place, so we're not. That's not going to be our measuring stick. If you go through what the Mughals built, the Mughals were Persians who came and conquered India. Of course, became Indian, married in, and became the Mughal kings. If you look at the Ottomans, if you look at the Mamluks before them, if you look at the Islamic West, they put care in the perception that a person has as soon as they walk in the masjid. And I think that's there's value in that. I don't think it's superficiality. I think it's important personally. And many people are going to actually consider that to be um, like the first effect that the masjid has among, is the visual. Go to the Ottoman Masjid in Turkey and you'll just see what we're talking about. If you're not, go to Washington, D.C. There's a masjid there on Massachusetts Avenue. Go to Maryland. They have a masjid there. The Turks built one there. What else? Um, I can't really name a lot of gorgeous masjid in the United States. There's one in San Diego. Unreal. You been to that one? That's a nice one. Look at Alhambra. Go to those places. Okay. Did you watch the Muhammad Hijab debate in South Africa? What he went to South Africa or he, online? Hey, Omar, you're in, you're you're up to date on this stuff. What happened? Okay. Yeah, I noticed that uh, he's not interested in uh, this nonsense anymore. The online nonsense. 
I don't know. Who is there to debate down there? Hmm? Yeah. Um, I liked what Chocolate Wallace says about the atheist. First of all, what is good and how do you know something is good? Waqas Sheikh, any plans for MBIC during Labor Day weekend? Usually we don't. We don't have anything going on, to be honest. But this Saturday we do. If you, you can come through. Hmm. Is it blame where, uh Please reassure book and on evolution on the stream. It would be great. No problem. What is the debate with who is it against? Atheism versus Islam in and um, Muhammad Hijab uh, sport in the suit with the kufi, con- which is always controversial to me, stylistically. Either you go Western or you go traditional. That's me, right? The suit and the kufi. Yeah. <laughs> How is Ryan doing? MashaAllah, Ryan's doing good. Alhamdulillah. How can we improve our articulation? Listen to Abdul Hakim Murad uh, lectures. You'll become a better speaker. What is your opinion of Khalid Abul Fadl's and his Usuli Institute? He's very knowledgeable. He's a very amazing uh, uh, speaker and writer, but he has some Mu'tazili views, Mu'tazili leaning views. How can we study Kalam? Is it on Arcview? Yes. Sheikh Osama Salahiyya is a Palestinian scholar and he's teaching Joharat al-Tawheed on Arcview Plus. The very fundamentals of Aqidah are taught on Arcview Basic. How do we overcome the problem of waiting for the right time to do something? Well, it's to know that that is one of the tricks of the, the lazy ego and of shaitan. Wait, procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. There's never a right time. There's never the perfect time. Unless you're talking about a specific thing that does have a right time. For example, when to talk to somebody about something. There is a right time and a wrong time. You don't wouldn't talk about something um, that's serious in at a wedding, for example. Right? You wouldn't give bad news to somebody who just had bad news. You know, fire an employee when his mom just died or something like that. So you wouldn't you would think carefully about that has timing, but other things like when can I start studying? There's never a good time for that. How much is average rent in New Brunswick for folks looking to do Arcview? Well, you should split rent with people, and then you can get by with 500 bucks a month. That's what some of these guys do. Popular Sheikh says no mu'min will ever enter hell, and no one can ever go out of hell. How do we answer this? By saying it is simply false. There is a hadith in Sahih Muslim about the last believer out of hell believers can enter hell but they will not stay there eternally and people are exiting hellfire and the prophet called them when they arrive at paradise they called them they are nicknamed jahannamiyun because they have a bronze tan to them that is attractive to people right so they're they're jahannamis okay uh what does the madiki method consider them what above sahih bukhari why does it because it's a shorter chain, right? And it's Maddox's view of things, too. Maddox puts in there the hadiths that he holds to be sound and the hadiths that he is telling you is sound, but is not his evidence, okay? 
He's just saying, I know the hadith. I'm putting it here because I want you all to know, I know the hadith, I have a stronger evidence, which is the amal of Ahl al-Madinah. Is the is the leather required for leather products like wallets, belts, shoes, etc.? Not to use, but to pray with, according to the dominant opinion. But there is an opinion, a fatwa later on that says when all leathers of the world have been mixed up, then then this doesn't apply anymore. You just pray with it all because it becomes impossible to know what's what. Whereas back in the town, in our town, we know where the leather came from. So. Can't you like check the ingredients and stuff? Like when you buy something, like when you buy a wallet, you can check like online, let's say, like yeah. where the company sources their stuff. Yeah, but that's a lot of haraj, I think. That's mm-hmm. excess haraj. That's not necessary. Ukapana hmm. says, since the USA is no longer at war with Muslims' countries, is it okay we join it? Join the army? I would say no, but live in the country? Yeah. I mean, we're already here, so. If a guy promised marriage to a woman then changed his mind, is he zalim? No, he's not. He's hurt her, though, and he should pay her half of the dowry. But that's if he did the kitab and then divorced her. But if he's just engaged and broke it off, then no. He's not zalim, but it's, it's not good that he flip-flops in such a manner and hurts somebody's feelings. That's not good. But we cannot say he's sinful for breaking that off. We could say he's inconsiderate he hurt someone's feelings all that is fair game to say but he's not sinful see that everything that is a bad experience is always sinful right how would you advise family member who used to pray regularly but now say they feel empty inside and find themselves depressed and missing salah and they just make qada next day such a person you need to take them out and about get them out of the house the the anything still stable that's not moving in this hayat dunya rots right everything a, a, a lake that doesn't move it rots a cup of water will just collect dust and will collect will become a source of disease actually puddles in africa are the source of malaria okay when the prophet arrived in medina he said put out all the puddles no puddles puddles are a source of disease whereas a moving river is pure okay so haraka baraka this is what we say haraka baraka haraka baraka and one of the ni'am of life the blessings of life is busyness even in what you hate. Busy doing chores and errands all day and all night until I'm collapse, right? Year in a ni'mah. This is how Allah is protecting you from a grief and a sadness that is looking to try to settle upon you. Like a, like, like imagine a, like a drone that's trying to land upon you. But you keep moving. So it can't land upon you. And that is sometimes when you wonder... Why has my life become so busy? I'm just so tired all the time. I wake up, the day starts. As soon as I step outside the room, the day starts, and it doesn't end until I come back, and I just collapse on the bed. Allah's protecting you. Allah's protecting you from something that's hovering, an idea, a thought, a doubt. Okay? Something that is about, it's trying to fall on you, but there's no minute, no free minute. So that's protection from Allah to be busy. What are ways to build ikhlas? In private, do much ibadah in private is the way to build ikhlas. And to remember, to keep in mind that Allah is always observing you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of questions here. I apologize not be able to take all your questions. However, we have to go. And we have some uh, busyness here. And we are off. We got today meetings, 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 meetings. Then office hours, and then self class.
at uh, 7 p.m. And then we have the Night of Remembrance of the Prophet So ladies and gentlemen, Jazakumullah khairan for being here, for paying attention. Support the stream at uh, patreon.com slash Safina Society. Jazakumullah khairan subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat. Wa tawasaw bilhaq. وتواصوا بالصبر والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته